Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where to the victor go the spoils. Well, unless you're Victor Wembanyama, because last night it was the Lakers and Anthony Davis who ended up victorious Wembanyama and got the spoils. (laughs) (laughs) Though the win and the spoils didn't come easily as the Lakers eked out a 122-119 win after being outscored 45-30 in the fourth. But a win is a win is a whim. And the Lakers are now 15-10 and 10 after splitting their two back-to-back road games in Texas after winning the IST Championship in Vegas last weekend. The Lakers, are currently hovering, the Lakers are currently hovering around fourth and fifth in the West and are also currently first in the Pacific Division. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, I only have one question to ask you. You down with IST? Yeah, you know me. You down with IST? Yeah, you know me. You got an STD? No. You better get that checked out. Uh, Anyways, uh, Tommy, (laughs) welcome to the show. The Lakers won the IST championship this past weekend. They beat the Spurs last night. Using the... I don't want to talk specifically about the Spurs game. We'll just lump everything together as a whole because we haven't gotten your temperature check on how the Lakers have been looking these past couple of weeks, especially since Jared Vanderbilt returned. So using the IST championship as a jumping off point for how the Lakers have been playing in this last stretch, what have your thoughts been on the Lakers looking more and more like the Lakers, like themselves, and looking more and more like the Lakers that we thought we had assembled in the offseason which again has naturally coincided with the lakers getting healthier with vando cam and Rui returning but most especially vando uh the lakers on the year are 5-0 when vanderbilt plays ist finals included the lone game vando didn't play in the mavs game the lakers lost prior to the mavs game which vando missed the lakers had held their opponents their four opponents to an average of 99 points per game below 100. The league average in the NBA is 114 points per game. And the Lakers in the IST Finals game held a Pacers team that averages 128 a game to 109. Rebounding-wise, prior to Jared Vanderbilt's return, the Lakers were 18th in total rebounds, and they were 29th in offensive rebounds on the season. Since Jared Vanderbilt returned, in the three games he played prior to the Mavs game, 
The Lakers all of a sudden jumped to number four in total rebounds and number four in offensive rebounds. So 18 to four, 29 to four. Even taking into account the Mavs and Spurs games, the Lakers still rank number five in total rebounds, um, though they have dropped to 15th in offensive rebounds because the Mavs and Spurs games were both travesties for various different reasons. But Huge jumps and huge leaps in the rebounding department since Vando's return, since Rui's return, since, since Cam's return. But overall, we, we have found real rebounders and rebounding that's been infectious to the whole team. But yeah, we'll get into individual player assessments in a bit, especially Anthony Davis. But for now, what's your general temperature check on the Lakers as a whole looking, quote unquote, more complete? Give me one second, because I'm going through this tunnel where I sometimes lose service. Sure. So while Tommy is going through that tunnel and potentially losing service, and while my dog is barking in the background, let me just say that in spite of the issues that we've had with, you know, Darvin Ham's issues that we've had with some of Darvin Ham's coaching decisions, I think the Lakers are showing us why when we did our temperature check back when they were six and six, why back then we we not only weren't panicking, but were actually encouraged. Because when this team is healthy, when they're focused and aligned, we know they're ceiling. So take it from there, Tommy. Yes. So I've been super, super impressed. If anything, I feel like people aren't talking about how well they've been playing enough. We're almost like we've reverted to like the how this regular season was. We're like when, sort of when I was growing up and, and watch. I'm thinking of like the early 2000s Lakers, you know, like where it always felt like whether the Lakers finished as the number one seed, whether they finished as the number four seed, like they always had a chance in the playoffs. And it's felt like in recent years with all these like super teams that form and they're never, they never seem to stay healthy or they never seem to get it together. And during the season and everybody says, well, it doesn't matter. Just wait till the playoff. Like there's a difference between that and like just completely blowing off the regular season, like as a whole. And there's a, you know, and what the Lakers are doing now, which I feel like over the course of an 82 game season, especially when you have guys like LeBron and AD, you kind of have to pace yourself. But the in-season tournament was really nice in the sense that like it gave us a, a very clear glimpse when of when healthy, how this team intends to play and how effective they can be playing that style. Mm-hmm. We played Phoenix who was coming into that tournament game, um, I think they were eight and two in there. You're going to be surprised that I couldn't remember all of these numbers off the top of my head. (laughs) They played, uh, I think they were eight and two coming into that tournament game. They were playing extremely well and they had both Booker and KD. Obviously they did did not have field, but who they hadn't had for, they haven't had for most of the season. Right. But eight and two, they had Booker and KD. They were overall playing extremely well. We know they're well coached and we were able to, you know, get a win against that. Beating KD, beating a guy like Booker in a in a meaningful game, it's not easy, right? It doesn't matter. It is like a playoff game intensity. And not only that, we shot 37% from the field and beat those beat those guys. So going into the next game, we played a New Orleans team that had been playing extremely well, had won several games, was finally in a row, had was finally getting healthy. The game, the first game after the tournament. They beat the number one seeded team in the entire league, uh, Minnesota, right? So, like, we we played them and we beat them by 40. It's over 40, actually. You know what I mean? And then finally, going into the last game against Indiana, you, man- you mentioned how well they were playing offensively. Indiana had beaten Miami, Milwaukee, and Boston to mm-hmm. get to us, 
right? Not that order, but they'd be really good, the top of the East. In again, in meaningful games, not just like second out of a back to back. These were all like tournament games. And they had beaten them. And we made two threes in an entire game in 2023. We made two three pointers against a team that was averaging 128 points a game, like you mentioned, coming into this. And we controlled the game the entire time and won by double digits, like fairly handily. Like, yes, we had to, you know, keep guys in. And and Indiana, of course, didn't give up. They've been playing extremely well. But we handled that game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I think, like, to your point, this is sort of what we were hoping to see. We knew that we had added a ton of defenders that we lacked for uh, size of positions that we lacked last year. Um, and we knew that we had the ability, you know, especially with like the new with the offseason, with with guys like Rui, who showed up midseason, Vando, who showed up midseason, um, Torian Prince was an offseason signing. We have not had this kind of wing depth in a long time and and probably ever. I, I mean, probably since the championship team, but even we have more wing depth now than we even did then, right? Um, and so, like, we had a feeling that, like, what? how could this team play? Well, they could use the 1920 success as a blueprint, and that's what we've seen. Like, this team has guys who can hit threes, but offensively, there is a strong focus to just hammer teams in the paint and wear them out and it's worked okay and it worked in 1920 and it's currently working and on the other end we're only going to play guys if they're contributing defensively and that's work too and so you know it's just i think the team you know the team has been playing extremely well what if we won like six out of the last seven or like the dallas game was a tough loss I don't know why every game we play against Dallas, by the way, it feels like this. Like we end up going down by 20 and then we come back and take the lead and then lose by one. It's like every game we play yeah. against them is like that. It was like the Cleaver three last year, the Kyrie three earlier in the season. I don't have no idea why it seems like this always happens against Dallas. Ex- but Except for the one game where Jared Vanderbilt went loco on defense and we came back from 27 and actually won. But your point is take well taken in terms of always being down by like 20 and coming back. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why that always. Yeah. It just seems like that always happens against Dallas specifically. But, you know, and, and yes, to, and it kind of you reminded me that the one game that we lost in this recent stretch, Bando didn't play and he makes a huge difference for us. Um mm-hmm. Oh, and sorry, I didn't even mention Cam when I was talking about like all the wing depth that we have now. So it it's all kind of clicking. I'm very, very encouraged also by the positive uptick in Torian Prince's shooting and Austin Reeves' shooting, because those were two guys we were counting on to be like pretty good shooters for us. And both of them were horrific. I mean, there's no other real way to put it. I mean, for the first 15 to 20 games, like they were horrific. But in the last couple of weeks... They've both had a huge uptick. I mean, Torian, what, he hit like 14 threes over three games. His percentage went from like barely 30 to 38%. Austin Reeves is slowly ticking up and he's starting to hit these like, these threes as a ball handler off the dribble, which we saw him do last season. You know, especially in the playoffs, we saw him do it with Team USA. And that was just totally gone from his game for the first 15 20 games this year but that has yeah, started sorry, to look can a I lot correlate? and i have i have the exact numbers for you when we get to torian prince and austin reeves but i want to correlate this back to defense and why they're why they have an uptick in shooting and 
it's because ever since Jared Vanderbilt came back, ever since Cam Reddish, Rui Hachimura came back, the defensive burden is now shared amongst players who are actually elite on that end and have the length and mobility and rebounding to hold everything together alongside AD. And I feel like it slotted everyone down correctly and allowed our offensive players like Reeves, our shooters like Prince, our playmakers like D'Angelo Russell to have to reserve more of their juice on doing the things they do best on the offensive end. And I think it's allowed them to also look even better on defense at times because of the added fortifications behind them, right? You've seen Torian Prince be more scrappy. You've seen him actually challenge for defensive rebounds, you know? And it's because, again, as I mentioned, rebounding is infectious when Jared Vanderbilt is out there and he's only playing 15 minutes a game. And so I think all of this correlates back to just having the forwards that we were so excited to talk about in the offseason actually back, you know? It snapped everything into place. And... Before we take it to break, let's talk about Anthony Davis because he has been all-world domination in this stretch. Yes. And in spite of being banged up, we are teetering on the edge here of like Anthony Davis being out of the season or just continuing this amazing stretch. Obviously, he played against Wembanyama last night, which was a really fun tit-for-tat, mono-e-mono type game, kind of like Shaq versus Andrew Bynum when Shaq was on the heat. But the last three games for AD, IST Finals included, 37 points, 10 rebounds, 4 steals, 1 monster welcome to the NBA one-handed sledgehammer on Wemby, and 4 clutch free throws at the end of the game versus the Spurs last night. And then the game prior to that, literally the game before that, the night before that against the Mavs, 37 points, 11 rebounds, 2 blocks on 15 of 21 from the field. And then the game before that, the IST Finals, 41 points, 20 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks on 16 of 24 from the field. Now, he did this against, he he put up 37 and 11 against a smaller team in the Mavs who only really have a rookie, Derek Lively, to man the paint. But look at the other two wins, Tommy. He did it against Wemby the Alien and against Miles Turner. Miles Turner is one of the most prolific rim protectors in the league, okay? And he punked the hell out of Miles Turner and got him in foul trouble. So this isn't just AD dominating against smaller barbecue chicken type teams. He's doing this against some of the best rim protectors in the league. And then on top of that, the way he's getting these points, Tommy, he's got finally a variety of shot making in his offense. The -the off-the-dribble pull-up Jays, the turnaround fadeaway Kobe Jays, the three-point shots. He's now got two straight games with threes after not hitting a three since the end of October, which is insane. Like, the way he's getting these points, it's not just straight dunks, alley-oops, cleanups. He's looking like a three-level scorer, like the three-level scorer that we saw from Bubble AD. Anthony Davis, in spite of the fact that he's been limping around with all these different ailments, in this stretch, he's pulled things together and he somehow still looks rejuvenated on both ends. Your thoughts on Anthony Davis this last couple stretch, really fighting through things and just proving that like, damn, man. I mean, look at these numbers. They're undeniable. Yeah, it's it's been really impressive to watch. And I think the thing that's been the nicest to see is him stepping out and hitting jumpers. Um, it seemed like I never really took it this way, by the way, but there was like a lot of consternation online about like, AD's just like he's lost it. The jumpers, like that's just not who he is anymore. That's not part of his game. I he started the preseason taking jumpers. He started early in the regular season taking jumpers. At some point, there was a concerted effort to make AD a like again to like the point I was kind of talking about earlier. Like we want to dominate teams on the paint with our size. 
that's like a consistent way to win games. Your perimeter shooting is going to come and go, and we don't have Steph Curry. So, like, it is what it is with perimeter shooting. But the way we won in 1920 while being literally, I mean, most of that season, as the number one seed in the league, we were number 30 or 29 in three-point shooting percentage. Like, we slightly upticked at the end, like, heading into the playoffs. And the playoffs, I think we were kind of mediocre. So we weren't the worst, but we were just mediocre. But... You know, you can still win in, in in the modern age playing dominating the paint. And and that's what it seemed like AD wanted to do. Now that he done has done that for a while, it seems like he's now like trying to branch out a little bit, take some more mid-range shots, take some he's taken a few three-pointers the last few games. And he's doing all of this like while still playing completely like dominant defensive player of the year type defense. He's doing it with or without LeBron James on the court. And he's just looked like better on both ends. I mean, he it's unlikely that he's going to be able to sustain this sort of output over the course of an entire season. But this is like MVP caliber basketball, right, that he's mm-hmm. playing right now. So like overall on both ends. And, you know, I just like can't say enough good things about him. I, I think he has gotten a lot of flack over the course of his career. I don't want to say rightfully so, so for the injuries because obviously a lot of that's in control now i think there are a lot of the, that's out of his control i think there were some moments right in, in his career maybe today where there were borderline like yeah well if you're willing to play through a little bit of pain types of injuries that like he could have maybe dealt with a little bit better I, but it's like clearly he's cognizant of this kind of stuff now it feels like he's doing a lot of the wild things he used to do that would cause him to get injured, like diving into the paint, where, like when there's a bunch of bodies and like his legs get tangled up with 20 other people. When he falls down, it feels like he's being more cognizant of how he's breaking his fall. These are maybe silly things to some people, but not getting injured is a skill in, in some way. You know what I mean? I mean, LeBron James has yeah. been in the NBA for 20 years and other than the 20 plus years, other than that groin injury that kept him out for a good chunk of his first year with us. He has largely avoided injury. Is some of that just the fact that he is a complete alien and will never see someone like this again? Yeah, yes, that is part of it. But part of it is he is smart and he knows how to play, especially at like over the course of an 82 game season and not injure himself, you know? And I feel like AD, I've been saying for years, is someone ever going to teach this guy how to fall down, you know? <laughs> and and it seems like you, you'll, you'll it, I don't know, to me, Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but when I see him out there, in addition to the numbers he's putting up, just like keeping himself available is like so important. And he's doing that this year. Oh, I was going to say, you've said this before, too, but I think it's also just a little bit of muscle memory. Last year, he fought through these types of injuries in the playoffs and he realized, oh, I can do it, you know? And I think it's just getting into that sort of rhythm where you're not load managing all the time. You're not load managing the moment you get an ankle tweak or whatever. I'm not even saying this is a smart to do necessarily, but I think just for him knowing that he can overcome these knick-knack injuries is probably a good thing. It is probably a good thing. And, you know, that's what Paul George, for all the ridiculous things that man has said in his life, made one smart comment that we brought up on this podcast a few times. Um, But it's that, you know, it seems like although there's better access to training and there's better tech, not medical technology and, and every team has like the most advanced, you know, physical therapy you can, you know, money can buy and 
There's better travel. There's a lot of things that make playing in the modern NBA a little bit easier than it was to play 20 years ago. So why does it still seem that like guys are getting hurt more than ever and star players are are getting hurt more than ever? And I think Paul George made the good point that part of that is like somebody arbitrarily and I don't want to point the finger at the Spurs, but somebody arbitrarily made the decision that my understanding after like once Paul George said this, I actually did do a little research. My understanding is this is not actually based on any science. Right. But somebody made the determination that it's overall career minutes or overall season minutes it's like a ticker like a gas canister basically like it goes down and once you hit that threshold your significant you know your risk for injury exponentially spikes that has not been proven by any science and and part of what paul george was trying to say was guys bodies are just not like part of the part of the point of the 82 game season is you're not the same player game 82 as you were as you were game one, your body has been put through so much. It's overcome so much. It's become so much stronger that you can handle, you know, anything that gets thrown at you. And when you're sitting out every back to back and when you're sitting out like every three games and four nights scenario, unless you're LeBron James and you're investing a million dollars in your body to like stay in tip top shape. Like those are the types of situations where, you know, oh, it feels like we're protecting so-and-so because we're keeping them out. But like now so-and-so is not getting those reps and is not building up their strength and building up their conditioning. And that's where you're getting like the hamstring injuries that keep people out the entire season Mm -hmm. and like things like that. I'm not talking about like the freak injuries. I'm just talking about like, you know, the types of injuries that you wouldn't expect, you know, necessarily guys to get, um, like professional athletes to get. And, And so... I, I think that is a part of it with AD. It's like when he kind of made that, he came back from his injury at the end of last season and there was 22 games left and he said, I'm going to play every game. And I think they sat, they sat him out one game against Houston, which we lost, um, which was absurd because Houston was terrible, but you know, it was a back to back, but you know, he played in that, in all those games. And, and that I felt like helped his momentum going into the playoffs. He made the same sort of declaration this year. I want to play every game. Is that literal? No. But what it means is like, we, you know, multiple, we've already played like freaking like six back to back somehow, which is crazy because it's December and he's played, I think in all of them, except maybe one. Um, and those are the types of things that are going, that are going to like help him build up, you know, the strength and the endurance and, and, you know, everything he needs to to hopefully help him through the rest of the season. I, I'm not saying that's necessarily true. I just think that everybody became so obsessed with this idea that not playing is better than playing for some reason. Yeah. And that's what I don't think is, is necessarily true, because if you're in game 60 and you've only played 45 games, you're not going to be as in as good shape as somebody who's played all 60 games straight. You know, so it's just not possible. And when everyone's playing at that higher speed and you're trying to play catch up, yes, of course, that's how people get hurt. That that to me makes a lot more sense than like it's just a it's like a gas meter. And like, you know, it's when you hit a certain minutes threshold, you're done, you know. So um, anyway, that was my side tangent rant about this topic. (laughs) Sure. But yes, AD has been playing well. 
Yeah, sorry for the detour on uh, on that, guys. But my last thing to add to that is like, if you want another analogy, for those of you who play guitar, it's like building up the calluses in your fingers to continue playing play guitar. Because if you haven't played guitar in a while and you just rest your fingers, if you go back to playing guitar and you put your fingers on those same strings, they're going to hurt it like hell, you know? So you got to keep playing, essentially, <laughs> literally. Um, but yeah, AD, kudos to AD for just pushing through things. Obviously, do so at your discretion do so smartly but so far it's it's hard to argue and last night it looked like he was having a lot of fun against Wemby and for the first time it kind of felt like AD was having fun being the smaller player you know because he was like low to the ground and he could just like shove his shoulder into Wemby push him around and then go up for like a dunk or like a layup and I mean he's been faster than most every other forward or center that he's played against including Miles Turner but Against Wemby, he sees this alien-like figure who's as fast as him, but here he could leverage the fact that he was shorter, closer to the ground, and had more of a base and control over his body. And uh, yeah, it was just fun to watch those two go tit-for-tat against one another. So crossing our fingers that AD stays healthy and that he continues to add the jump shooting, the three-point shooting, the pick-and-pops to his diet, because when he's doing that, the Lakers are so hard to stop. All right, let's take it to break. When we return, we'll quickly close this episode out by talking about any of the other ancillary players that we want to talk about. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so we are back uh, for the last five to ten minutes of the show. Let's talk about anybody else you want to bring up, Tommy, in this recent stretch. Because as we have mentioned, because of the defense, I feel like it's really allowed the other players to, one, play more aggressively on defense if you're like a perimeter guy. And then two, just maybe find more of your legs to shoot your shot, play make, be a better offensive player. Um, one interesting stat that I'll start off with before we get into anybody else is D'Angelo Russell. He's struggled with his, he's one of the few guys who's actually struggled with his shot recently in the last two or three games or so. But when it comes to his playmaking, that's something that he has carried throughout the season, regardless of whether or not he's playing bad defense, regardless of whether or not he's hitting his threes. He has been a great floor general who has playmaked well and also turned the ball over uh, less than he ever has. In terms of the NBA's best passing duos, which typically also equates to the league's best pick and roll duos, um, the D'Angelo Russell to Anthony Davis tandem, in which D'Angelo Russell feeds AD for a bucket, that tandem ranks 21st in the league in terms of most proficient duos. D'Angelo Russell has 45 assists on the year to Anthony Davis, that is tied with LeBron James for the lead in terms of most assists to Anthony Davis. 
The LeBron James and Anthony Davis combo ranks 13th in the league because LeBron James has 45 assists, but he's done that in fewer games than D'Angelo Russell. But LeBron James and D'Angelo Russell both have 45 assists to Anthony Davis to lead the Lakers team. The D'Angelo Russell to AD tandem is 21st in the league. And then on top of that, the D'Angelo Russell to LeBron James combo is 30th in the league. So D'Angelo Russell is in the top 30 of passing duos in the league. D'Lo to AD, as well as D'Lo to LeBron James. And D'Angelo Russell leads the Lakers in assists to LeBron James as well with 40 assists. So really incredible. And I bring all that up to say the next time you're wondering, what does D'Angelo... Because I know this question gets brought up a lot by fans. And they're like, what the hell does D'Angelo Russell do when he's not scoring? The simple answer is he's playmaking for two of our best players on the team. LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And also, it's easy to forget because in the last three games, his three-point shot hasn't gone down, but it's easy to forget that before the last three games, D'Angelo Russell had actually gone on a 13-game stretch in which he had hit 35 of 73s. That's 50% hitting 2.73s a game. He's hitting a little bit of a hiccup in this recent stretch, but I'm almost certain he's going to catch fire again soon. And in the interim, he's been playmaking for our best players LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Okay, so Tommy, outside of D'Angelo Russell, you brought his name up. Austin Reeves has really found a rhythm lately, and he's been shooting the ball well overall. He still has problems here and there turning the ball over. I I believe he's in the top 10 in the league of turnover percentage off of drives, so that's something he'll he'll need to continue to clean up. But I like that even in spite of that, he's stayed aggressive, and he's been able to maintain his swagger offensively and not let his wild forays into the lane disrupt his scoring overall. Austin Reeves is now shooting 47% from the field and 35% from three. Over his last four games, AR is shooting 13 of 27, 48% from three. So any thoughts on Austin Reeves? He's done a lot, and we talked about this before, but he's done a lot better job of, and he's still doing this a little bit, by the way, but he's done a lot better job of avoiding the over-dribbling and the over-trying-to-make-himself-Steve-Nash and just playing to his strengths, which has always been downhill attacking the rim as a scorer and using that to open up his mid-range jumper and his and his three-point shot. And then, well, finally, after all that, you know, getting, getting def- defenses on him as a scorer to then open up his playmaking. He's sort of, like, using the, that sort of natural progression, and I feel like it's caused a huge uh, efficiency spike for him. Yeah, I agree. Now his playmaking has come around, and it's been... It feels more natural versus more forced, right? Yes, exactly. Um, you mentioned Torian Prince, the 40% three-point shooting Prince that was promised. He is now shooting 38% from three on the year. Isn't that insane? He was shooting like 28% two weeks ago, okay? That's all right, yeah. <laughs> so Torian Prince is shooting a blistering 27 of 54 from three in his last 10 games. That is 50% from the field. With Vando and Cam back, Torian Prince can all of a sudden become more of a luxury wing defender that excels in specific matchups rather than the go-to wing defender for every matchup that Darvin Ham was using him in because we didn't have the size, right? And now even his defensive activity has actually improved. His rebounding has improved. And it's because he has less of the burden to carry. So again, kudos to Vando and Rui and Cam. He's still playing way too many minutes for my liking, and I hope we eventually settle him into like a 20 to 22 minute role. But honestly, if he's going to keep shooting the rock like how he has been shooting, then maybe the minutes are warranted. Lastly, I really quickly want to bring up Rui Hachimura. 
the Masked Samurai because I I feel like, as is often the case with Rui Hachimura, he tends to just always fly under the radar. And especially this time because it's been more about Jared Vanderbilt's return and the infusion of defense that Vanderbilt has brought this team. And rightly so, right? But I feel like because of that, everyone's forgotten that Rui Hachimura is back. And he struggled a bit recently with like the mask on. But if you remember, prior to him like having this recent injury and having to put on the mask, he was kind of rolling a bit, you know? And last night against the Spurs, in a fill-in start for LeBron, he had 13 points and seven seven rebounds. And I believe he had the, the Lakers' first nine points or so. But I just like that Rui Hachimura, just having his presence back in general, has really helped solidify our versatile bully ball identity and help patch up a lot of things for us elsewhere. It's helped give us another option besides Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes to go to that puts downhill pressure on the rim and in the mid-range. And it's allowed us to stem the tide during these early stages of Vando being a complete zero on offense, and maybe that's just going to continue. But overall, having Rui here, it's just given us a bigger, burlier, more athletic body to deploy out there with LeBron James and Anthony Davis that I feel like really exemplifies the physically imposing nature that I think this Lakers team wants to build their identity around. And also, I mean, if we're looking at statistics, Rui is still shooting 40% from three on the year. It's a low sample size, but he has he is hitting more than one three a game. And at the forward spot, that's all you can ask for. And actually, since his he's returned in the four games that he's been back, he's hit a three in each of those games. So really quickly, your thoughts on Rui Hachimura. Yeah, Rui, I feel like is unfortunately because of the injuries going to end up in this situation where by midseason, maybe even by the end of the season, if he keeps if he keeps unfortunately getting injured, um, people are going to look at his stats and feel maybe like he had an underwhelming season. I think to your point, if you've watched the games, you've sort of seen what he brings to the table and he's been able to do it consistently. And I think the craziest thing for me, by the way, is like these mask games. Like I, when was the last time a guy was supposed to wear a mask and actually ended up wearing it the entire time? Like he's worn this mask for so many games in a row. You know, you always see this like, oh, they wear it for one game and then they wear it for a half and then they throw it off because it, it's too hard to play with. And Rui has been playing through it and he's been hitting just been hitting his jumper. I mean, like it's caused some inefficiencies, I guess, in the sense that sometimes he can't see. So he drops the ball. You know what I mean? Right. Like, or he'll like miss a layup because he can't see. He's just shooting into into darkness or blurriness or whatever. But <laughs> You know, notwithstanding all of that, he he has been really good. It's like, to your point, he stepped in for LeBron as a starter. He had a solid game. He's picking up rebounds. He's keeping that pressure on the rim. He's hitting his shots. He is the exactly the complement that is needed next to Torian Prince, who's really a spot-up shooter as an offensive, more of a spot-up shooter as an offensive player. Cam Reddish, who is, you know, he's just not consistent offensively. And then Vando doesn't really give you anything offensively. And then Christian Wood doesn't really play defense. So like Rui kind of fills a void that none of those other guys fill and he's continuing to get better and he's a young player and he works hard and he's willing to do the dirty work. And so I just think that, you know, it, it because of his injuries, we might end up in a situation where he ends up being a little undervalued this year, but he's had a fantastic season in my eyes. I think he's been one of our most steadiest players. He can do so many little things 
it just doesn't pop off the page sometimes, right? He doesn't excel in any one thing, but he's sort of the in-between of all the players you mentioned, Cam Reddish, Torian Prince, Christian Wood, Jackson Hayes at times. And then when Rui, when Rui's really going, you know, that's when he can get 25 points and hit five threes. So credit to Rui. Also, shout out to Cam Reddish. It's crazy that we're at this point in the season where it's just a given that Cam Reddish is one of our most elite defenders and fans just treat him like that when... You know, a month ago, people were like, Cam Reddish should be out of the league. And I'm talking about Lakers fans, but now people are like, oh, yeah, yeah Cam Reddish, we need to put him on that guy. What what has yeah. happened? You know, it's like, it's a great thing. It's a great time to be alive. And uh, shout out to Christian Wood as well, because he finally got back into the rotation against the Spurs. And we got to see how effective that Christian Wood and AD tandem were at the beginning of the season when everybody was out. And there was that one shot where Christian Wood, I think, missed another. He's been settling for threes a lot, right? He missed, he missed a baseline, baseline three, three on one possession. Couple possessions down, he gets that same same look at the baseline, but instead of just settling for that three, he does what he does best and he attacks the closeout and he gets the layup. You know what I mean? So I feel like it, it's a tough job for Darvin Ham right now, having everybody healthy. They're good problems to have, but it, it it's tough to know who to play and how much to keep guys in rhythm and engaged and stuff. But kudos to the guys who have stayed ready. Kudos to guys like Christian Wood who have continued to just cheer the team on and when their number is called, actually perform. You know, and that's what Christian Wood did. Yeah. He, he rebounded well. He hit a couple of clutch buckets against the Spurs. And yeah, he might be a DNP the next game, but we hope everybody continues to stay focused for when their number is called. Shout out to Max Christie for those same reasons as well. But with that said, that'll do it for this episode and our general temperature check on how the Lakers have been doing. Uh, it feels like we've got momentum on our side, just health provided, crossing our fingers. And the biggest thing overall is just LeBron James and Anthony Davis have looked really good this season, right? Yeah. And we just have to hope that health doesn't derail any of that. But um, yeah, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Tommy, I will see you later. Peace. Later. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.